and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, today on the program, we have TJ from Miniaturized. Uh, I'm really excited about this chat. We had a really great conversation and hit on so many levels, uh, digging into uh, his new album that he has coming out, uh, as well as uh, you know, uh, his path on the, uh, in the music industry, um, his road through the bands that he's had, and also uh, the uh, studio that he's he's built, and and really being a father, um, we connected on that as well as our uh, uh, similar taste in music. Uh, we got in at so many levels, so it was really really awesome uh, to get to chat with TJ. We'll get into that in just a moment, um, and. Before we do, uh, just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, you can find us on Apple Music, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube, of course. Um, YouTube, if you like the, vi uh, the visual component. Um, and um, and just a, a heads up on kind of what I got going on in the, the world. I'm geared up for a century ride. Um, I'm, this is my second century that I'm working on. Uh, uh, building up towards 100 miles on a bicycle. That's a really long time to be on a bike. And uh, I, I take that adventure with my buddy, Joe. Um, we've, we did a 25 mile ride um, last weekend um, and we need to start working in some hills uh, into our ride. So hopefully gonna be able to do that this coming weekend um, that we have. Um, so uh, more to come on that. It's, uh, it's a challenge, I, I find that the hills part there's not a lot of hills where i live so i have to actually get to where he lives in napa uh to to get some good hill action in and um and hopefully i'm going to be able to do that this coming weekend so um i don't want to waste a lot of time because we had a really long great interview with tj so uh let's go ahead and let's hop right into the interview with tj for miniaturized hey tj how you doing how are you my friend nice to see you Nice to see you as well. How's your day treating you so far? It's beautiful in San Diego, a little crisp, but nice, you know. I, ca I can't really complain about it. I live uh, right by the beach in a place called Cardiff-by-the-Sea. Yeah. It's uh, north of the Del Mar racetrack, if you've ever been down here. Um, okay. It's just kind of serene. It used to be my old man lived here when I, in the 80s, and I visited him when I was like 11 and 12. And I remember walking around and feeling like it was the nexus of the universe so yeah it, it and like there's a long involved story I don't need to go into but like I've I've been here been brought to this location a lot of times in my life to live and to be and stuff so I just it's no surprise that I ended up here it's amazing you know oh it, it, San Diego is like the most beautiful place in California so I'm I'm up north in the Bay Area and oh really um, yeah no I, yeah. I, I I love it up there too my my grandparents had a house before they passed away for a long time, like 50 years or something in Walnut Creek. Yep. So, so okay. I spent a lot of Christmases up there as a kid and stuff. And then my grandmother lives in Oakland. So we would, you know, I've been all through there and I've obviously played San Francisco a million times. I love that city and I love the Bay area in general. I went to first grade in Walnut Creek. So I know they're, they're there. Hey, but... <laughs> all right, cool. cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what uh, what places did you like to play in San Francisco? Where, where bottom of the hill, bottom of the hill. I really yes. like. Uh, I don't even know if the Elbow Room's still there. Um, I'm not sure. That's actually. a great place. Slims, Slims, Slims. I like playing a lot. You know, R.I.P. Slims. R.I.P. Uh, Slims. Yeah, I know, wrong. man. Like, yeah. how did they get rid of that place? That was like the coolest oh. venue ever. 
Oh my gosh. It was the first thing to go when COVID hit and it, it was wow. such a bummer. I, I bought a Slim's t-shirt uh, because they put them on sale after COVID hit. And I was like, just I have so many memories from my youth and shows at Slim's and everything. Ah, uh, no, man. And the sound in there was great and had a great vibe. There's a, a venue that it reminds me of a lot down here called the Belly Up Tavern. You ever hear that? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It's really similar to Slim's, kind of the same deal. It's been there since like 1975 or something. It's, it's old, but it's like a great sound and a really good vibey room to go to go see music you know yeah yeah uh, independent i like that place a lot too yeah. yeah yeah great american music hall of course i only got to play there once really early you know but uh that was cool <laughs> you've been to the Fillmore? oh uh, yeah i've been there yes okay uh, okay I mean, okay gorgeous you know oh, i've never played the Fillmore. i mean that's a that's a world-class crazy room i'm not that i haven't played world-class rooms but like that's like the mecca for some like it's that and the ryman in uh nashville you know it's like yeah. those those two places really have like like prestigious, ridiculous, high end clout, and it's like, oh, you know, Willie Nelson played here, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. No, but San Diego is beautiful. I mean, I, I took the kids down there, my kids down there this past year, and I mean, it's just, it's the spot to get away to. It's the most relaxing, beautiful. The beaches are great, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's awesome. So it, it is. Well, now you have a friend, so you next time you come down. <laughs> Uh, I, I've been here a long time. I, I, I know all the ins and outs. I like it. I'll have you show me around, take me to a cool show, you know. Oh, for sure. The Casbah, I got to take you there. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you've, uh, I want to kind of, well, let's, let's start from the beginning. Tell me about what music was on in your house as a kid, like your, uh, what, what were your parents into and how, how did you get started there? My, uh, I'm a Navy kid. My old man was a, a officer in the Navy. He was a doctor. Um, and uh, I was born on a Navy base in Subic Bay in the Philippines. Uh, my dad was stationed out there. And then we moved to Spain and we moved to Germany and then Texas for a bit. And then I landed in San Diego. My dad landed in San Diego about uh, when I was about six. And since he was an officer and there's a lot of Naval hospitals and Marine Corps hospitals here, he was able to stay permanently here. So I was in San Diego from that point on uh, in Navy housing most of my youth. So my dad uh, and my mom were squares. The, they, my mom grew up in the Bay Area in, uh, in Concord and, and Walnut Creek. And my, my dad uh, grew up in Santa Maria and Whittier. And they met at Chapman College together. My dad got drafted. And so uh he moved my brother and I and my mom around the world in the Navy and then we ended up here he they were never either either my parents ever they loved singing like in choir and in church my dad's a strict Catholic my mom too um but uh they never had any taste in popular music like I was forced to listen to the music that was on in my house was stuff like Mel Torme and Barry Manilow and Peter, Paul, and Mary. And uh, I think I remember my dad and mom uh, brought home Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. I thought they had been drinking or something because it just was so out of character. But I loved it. They put it on. I was like, oh my God, man, this is like real rock music. The real musical influence in my life was my older brother. He's, you know, uh, considerably, you know, I think he's seven years older than me, you know, and he, uh, he was a rebellious youth. So right away, he strayed away from my parents, you know, super Catholic, conservative uh, uh, music tastes and uh, started to like get into rock bands. He was into ACDC and Van Halen and Kiss and then all the arena rock bands of, of the 80s, like Def Leppard and Foreigner and Journey yeah. and Styx, believe it or not. Um, and so like 
in Navy housing, the walls are really thin. So he'd be playing all these records and I would be in playing Legos or, you know, He-Man or whatever, uh, you know, my toys, Hot Wheels, and I could hear the music through the wall. And it was like, there was nothing else to do. I had a little tiny like AM clock radio that I would listen to the, the like pop and rock stations on, but his stereo was really good. Uh, so that's kind of where my influence came. And I would always ask him, well, who's this band? It's like, oh, you know, this is Kiss. It's like, oh, dude, like, and he showed me a picture of him. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. You know, and he had yeah. a, an ACDC poster on his wall that my mom made him take down because she thought he was worshiping the devil. But it was Angus Young with a guitar stock coming out of his gut. She this is horrible. You didn't sing too. Are you on drugs? Typical, yeah. you know, uh, typical rock music is the devil's music uh, uh, banter that my parents all fell for. And they were never really supportive of of my brother and my interest in guitar music at all. They thought that it wasn't practical. So uh, we had to seek outside influence. And so th th that's what started me, like looking outside of my immediate surroundings for music. My brother kind of opened that door. And so immediately I would bring up music to other kids. I was just drawn to it, you know, and like some of them knew and some didn't. And in Navy housing, it's a real mix of, of all different kinds of cultures and races from all over the world, you know, Filipinos, you know, uh, African-Americans, you know, Hispanics, you know, people actually from Spain who, who immigrated here and then joined the Navy. Crazy, you know? Uh, yeah. And so my school was really diverse. So I got exposure to a lot of different like cultural influence and in music early on. And it was really fascinating. And I would always find kids to talk to it about. So that's where it all started, man. You know, I was, I was walking myself to school at like six or seven years old, singing songs in my head. Like I, for some reason I couldn't get that REO Speedwagon song out of my head. I had heard it somewhere in a store and heard it from a friend who, and I'm like walking around singing it. People <laughs> like, what are you, what are you singing? I'm like, oh, it's this band. It's just the way, the way it was, man. You know, I mean, uh, I think that it, when you're uh, attached to music, like guys like you and me are, when you hear it and it makes you yeah. feel a certain way and you can't compare that feeling to anything else. It's like catching a wave or sex or something. It's just got some sort of integral connection to every like pore and spirit and, you know, molecule in your body. And it your parents don't get it. The parents don't get it either. Like my, my mom, like I used to like to go to shows in the city, you know, and I, I grew up in Napa and, uh, and, and so I, I had tickets to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I hope you're sitting down at the Fillmore. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> at the Fillmore. And, uh, when what I was era like Red Hot Chili Peppers was that? Was it what record? So, oh my gosh, uh, I was 17. What record would that have been? Blood oh Sugar God. Sex Magic or was it Probably, later, later than that? It was later than that. Even, it might have been a little bit later than that, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Blood Sugar, remember. Sex Magic, and Freaky Styley are great records, man. I love early Chili Peppers a lot. People, I talk shit about that band, but they're fucking good, man. Like you can't, you can't find a rhythm section like that anywhere. You know no, what I mean? She, she made me sell the tickets, so I didn't get. To oh that no, <laughs> no! That was the end of that story. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have that uh, <laughs> either. I know. And it's like, I, I've been rebelling from that ever since, right? So <laughs> if you want to push your kid into a life of degradation, drug use and rock music, like take away his Chili Pepper tickets, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, so, so I, I feel it. And, and so did you did you start going to shows with your brother? Like, No, my brother was older than me. He didn't want to hang out with his torpy kid brother, you know, with his goofy hair and skateboard and stuff. Uh, his friends were too cool for school. They, I mean, just weren't into me. He was much older, you know? So like, uh, no, I, I started going to punk shows that I would hear about through the skateboarding scene, you know, around. And like, it first started with like uh, uh, these kids 
in the in phase four had a band like the navy house was in phases they had like a band they would like get together and it wasn't really a band but one had a drum set and the other one had a guitar <laughs> yeah right so it was like whatever they were just shitty and horrible sounding but i remember like going over to their house as a little kid on my bike and being like this is what i want to do and so by 11 yeah. i started trying to play with my friends and find kids to play you know yeah yeah so and, and then we would go so to how old are you I didn't start going to shows until I was, you know, in my early teens because I couldn't really get out. My mom wouldn't let me take the bus out of Navy housing to go to some like punk rock club or something, you know, or all ages venue. And so it got to the point where I was just sneaking out of the house to go because my parents would never let me approve of it. They weren't really watching that closely. So I would just say I'm going over to, you know, to play tag and I would <laughs> go down to Soma or whatever and watch bands. You know? Yeah, yeah. What were those van first bands, those first shows that you went to that you the were first, you really good? The, the first ones I went to, like there was a, in, uh, it, a lot of times I would go over the border. You can get that. There was a, a, a club in Tijuana just across the border called Iguanas and everybody cool played there, man. Like I saw so many early punk bands like a DRI, TSOL, like all these cool things like uh, uh, Circle Jerks, uh, um, uh, Fugazi came through there. That was crazy. I saw Ice-T and Body Count. I saw Nir uh, not Nirvana. Nirvana played there. I saw Pumpkins in there, right? So like I would go see all these, and it was like a, a dangerous place. It was like a cement gladiator pit, and like there wasn't really a whole lot of security, and there was three levels to it, and the rail only came up to like about here. So people were falling off and dying at shows, crazy gnarly mosh pits. I was at a DRI show where some guy just like landed on his head right in front of me, and it was like the the security just came, picked him up, and dragged him out. He was not awake, you know. Um, yeah. But like that, and then there was like basement, not basement necessarily, but like house punk shows that were really prevalent um, just with, you know, people we knew in the scenes, bands, and we would go and like, just get rowdy and have, have a great time. You know, like bad religion was a big deal to me, you know, huge yeah. descendants, bands like that, you know? Uh, yeah. And then also, you know, with my brother's influence, I was into a lot of, you know, like the cure and Jesus and Mary chain and the Smiths and, uh, new order and obviously joy division and bands like that too you know because he like i had this expanding roster because i would be home and he would be playing all these cool records that i'd never heard he came home from college for a while and i had all these new bands to show me and it was awesome you know yeah yeah so uh, so at what point did the palace ballroom start because i know that was like a 10-year adventure in your life like how old were you it was there was i mean it was in between uh it was after i'd been with with a band called buckfast it'd be for a long time and we toured all over and played a bunch of shows and had a really great time and and put out i think four or five records on different labels and you just had a great time you know uh and uh i don't know it was just kind of like the angst music of my youth i guess so i uh when we took a break, you know, I, I had a, a family and stuff like that. And I was, you know, going through a, a divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was kind of like a divorce record. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, yeah. you know, so I like was kind of, I'm gonna write some new songs. And I wrote them and they were different than other stuff. They were kind of sad and, you know, solemn and very uh, uh, introspective, which was new for me because I was used to just like complaining about everything all the time, you know. <laughs> uh and I don't know, that was, uh, I don't know even know what year that was. It must have been. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do, all I do is music. So it kind of just like all runs together, you know, like one project starts and another ends. And it's weird how this one, this, uh, you know, miniaturized form, just because it's kind of like the culmination of all these different pathways I took 
earlier and bands and stuff like that and just people I played with and met along the way and uh it's been a really incredible like group effort and group support to get this whole thing up and out and it's really been kind of an amazing experience for somebody who's done music his whole life you know yeah it seemed like the uh, from what I could tell the palace ballroom was winding down and uh miniaturized kind of started around the same time but you were aware no 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 different different but the palace ballroom's last record was a while ago you know and we were we, we did a bunch of tours and played some spot shows and stuff like that. And then my old band, Buckfast Super kind of had like a resurgence. People were asking us to play. So we got together for a couple of years and played a bunch of shows. And that went really great. It was fun. But it was just like, I don't know, man. It's it's like going to see Journey now. It's like, all right, you know, I got it. It's not Journey really anymore. And these guys can't possibly mean these songs after all this time. And I just, just didn't feel genuine to me. So like uh, what really started miniaturized was I was kind of had some downtime and uh, my friend, Andrew McKeague, who is the guitar player for a long time for the presence of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And he was in a bunch of San Diego bands like Uncle Joe's Big Old Driver and Shuggy, um, really talented guy. Uh, he had a friend who was the principal of a charity for the Grammy Association called Music Cares. They're a great charity that supports musicians uh, in dire need of financial help if they get, you know, because being a, a musician, especially if you're an independent one, or even if you're on a major label, you don't necessarily have medical insurance or you might get addicted to substances. So Music Cares is a charity that's funded by the Grammy Association. So they're really well-funded that help people go through rehab, that help people recover from medical uh, bills. Uh, musicians, if you can prove that you're a working musician and you contact them, they will help you, which is amazing. Yeah. So he, he, so I was like, you know, she's like, hey, man, you guys should do a show, like a charity show to raise awareness, you know, not necessarily money, but awareness for the charity. We raised money for him, too. But uh, the, we decided to do because we all all my friends who I talked to love Tom Petty. So we decided to, to do a tribute, yes. tribute to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, because, I mean, honestly, throughout all our lives, you know, and we're all like 40 ish around there. Um had have, have listened to to Tom Petty and you know it had been like a soundtrack to everything and if you reflect on his career he's probably one of the, the most influential and important American songwriters uh you know of several generations you know just like timeless anthems you know these yeah. songs are just so like introspective and connective and all this stuff so everybody agreed to do it and so I kind of assembled a hodgepodge of dudes I just know you know guys from like really prominent bands and really talented musicians. And we rehearsed like 25 or 30 Heartbreaker songs and we put on a couple of shows and the reception was really huge. We had a really good time. And after the first show, I had some downtime and I was home and I just picked up my guitar and started writing. And all of a sudden, all these songs started coming out. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that the Petty gig had some sort of an effect on the way I, I looked at songs. You take that guy's songs apart and you realize the the kind of magic that's behind the way he puts them all together, the way they're orchestrated, the way he phrases his lyrics, the way the choruses lift and drop and just kind of the overall energy yeah. that's out of him, you know? So I just had this uh, writing streak and, and all these songs started pouring out. Yeah. And there it was, you know, like all of a sudden I'm like, I guess I should record this stuff. And it snowballed from there. So with Petty, did you have you seen him live? Did you ever? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Actually, you know what the craziest thing is? I had never seen him live. Those are always big shows. As a punk kid, I couldn't afford to go to, even though I loved them. You know, Uh, but um, my girlfriend and I and some friends of ours went up 
and saw him at the Hollywood Bowl, the second performance of his last three shows he ever played. So it was oh. the first time I ever saw him, and it was the, the second to last show he ever played in his life. He died like two weeks later. Or three crazy, weeks. Right? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I was like crying. I was sitting out on my like on my porch and I like heard and I was like it was I didn't ever think, you know, a lot of like I, I got upset when Bowie died, you know, yeah. I got upset when Prince died. There's a lot of musicians that really have a, a connection to me deeply. And Tom Petty was one of those. And I, it, that was before we had played the show, obviously, you know? So that was one of the reasons why I decided to do it. I just thought that anybody who has that type of effect on me, like I want to pay tribute and honor to them, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. I saw him live in 05 and 06 um, at the Greek up in Berkeley. And, um, and I mean, incredible shows. And Still. and it was, it was so cool. Cause I got to be closer than front row for the whole show in the photo pit. You oh, know, man. I mean, and he did this cool thing where he would let, uh, you know, the uh, journalists, usually you get the first two or three songs of a set, right? But he let you stay in the pit the whole time. If, you know, once you leave, you leave, but you don't, you don't leave, right? Uh, and uh, so I was in the photo pit two years in a row uh, uh, for his shows of the Greek, and that was incredible. And then I saw him, you know, kind of like you six months before he passed uh, when he played up here at Bottle Rock in, in Napa. And, uh, and I didn't stay for the whole set. I left halfway through and I kicked myself a little bit, but I mean, because it's like, you compare it to that thing that you were at, like, I was like, you know, way back at the Bottle Rock thing, you know, and shoulder to shoulder with people. And I was like, three day festival. I'm like, I got to save some energy for the other days. You, you don't know. Right. But uh, yeah, but and you compare it to, you know, being, I like that festival with... Bottle Rock. I like that. I've been there a couple of times. I like you that festival a lot. Yeah, for sure. I saw the, oh I yeah. Saw the... Yeah. I saw that I was backstage. I saw the cure. I saw uh Hart, who was amazing. Uh-huh. Um yeah, uh there was some really good shows. I saw Weezer. There were there was a great show. I saw Third Eye Blind. Um yep. they weren't as good as I had hoped because I really loved their first record, you know. Yeah. Uh but it, you know, it was it was cool for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool festival. And I, I mean I lived in Apple until last year and I would just bike to the festival. Like I was like you know, five minutes away, like it was, nice. it was nothing, nothing. So super close, right? But um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, hey, I was checking out your work. I really like your your podcast. How do you how do you do so many of them? How do you keep up, man? That's amazing. Oh, like, thank you. Yeah, I'm impressed. It's it's, <laughs> it's been this thing that it's just like I've been interviewing bands since I've been, since I was a kid, right? So it's just it was just always this thing that was it's in me, and I just. I just took the first break I've ever taken, like in the past nine years of doing podcasts, but I do it every week. It's 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 just this thing that's in that's in me, right? Well, uh, hey, and I, it's awesome yeah. that you do do it. You know, it really is. Like we need more people to keep the music conversation up and advocate for music and turn people on to it because yeah. the arts are a, a fleeting thing in 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 humanity. Like, I mean, I'm not even talking about the threat of AI yet, which is kind of getting scary. But like yeah. the humanity is what we're losing through all these wires and screens. I mean, like stuff like this is important, but like being visceral and going out with your friends to a live concert and engaging with music, like without people like you advocating, without people like me advocating for it, you know, it's going to start to slip away and generations ahead aren't even going to, they're going to put goggles on instead of going out to a a, a show and, and being with other people, you know? Yeah, no, you're, I mean, you're hitting it perfectly. And like when, when COVID hit and, I mean, Zoom came to the limelight, right? And this exists. And so there's a platform for us to be able to have a long-form conversation and talk through the music and just have a big conversation. Whereas, you know, I used to do this and I'd go to the shows all the time and uh, and you'd get 20 minutes maybe in between sound check and dinner and the band's like hungry and everything, right? 
and you don't get to connect on the same level. But those shows, I mean, it's getting out to shows is incredible too. And I just, I feel like I don't get out to as many as I used to. I definitely don't. But, uh, but, uh, but live music and, and even talking through the live music and giving artists a platform to be able to share their stories, you know, also is, I mean, what I enjoy doing. I love these conversations and getting to explore your, you know, your music and where, how you got to where you're, you're at, you know, and, uh, and your you, new, um, I saw you interviewed my friend, Zach. Uh, Zach, uh, Zach from uh, Smash Mouth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Zachary, yeah, yeah. He was I know, cool. I know that dude. He's a great guy, San Diego guy. You know, good dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he was, he was great. That was a, a cool one for me because I, you know, uh, I don't like to brag about it, but it, like my first concert was kind of Smash Mouth. You know, and they were one of my first favorite bands before oh, my yeah. musical. Those guys musical wrote massive hits, man. Massive. Yeah worldwide like sustaining hits i mean like people it's another band people talk shit about it's like dude when's the last time you wrote a hit <laughs> right right yeah so i have right. a personal connection to that band and so i can take it over and everything and actually getting to talk to him for an hour and uh, yeah yeah he's a great guy yeah, yeah. but really down to earth really sweet great performer uh, he's in a, uh, I, he probably told you about this, but he, what, what I, I know him from, from the first time I saw him, he's in a cover band called Weezer, Weezer where Weezer. they dress up as old man and play Weezer songs with like a Yiddish roll to it. And it's, it's fucking hilarious, man. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's, they're really great. A bunch of my buddies are in that band. So that's how I got, came to know him. And then we, I think we did a couple one-off shows together and stuff. He's just a good dude. And I, I'm, I'm happy that he got the gig. It's like, San Diego, like when a San Diego musician makes good, I'm proud of it because it just lifts us up as a scene. And you got to be happy for your brothers who, who, I mean, he's been doing it his whole life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And yeah. He's a, he's a super cool dude. And it was, sure. I, I went to their show like a, a month later that was in what, Fred, Fresno or somewhere near there. I don't know. It was a couple hours away. So um, I was like, okay, I hit him up and went to the show. And I, you know what? They, they, they haven't really played San Diego yet. I don't think, I think they played some kind of festival and uh i was gonna go check him out because I, I would like to see him do it you know yeah uh i really would because I, I just want to see i saw him with the old guy i mean i don't want to yeah. talk shit but that old guy was a dick man i we i hung out backstage with that guy and i did not like that dude at all he was not a nice man yeah yeah <laughs> i mean he was having a bad day but i've heard stories like that from a lot of people so i'm like i'm glad they got zach because he's a great cat man you know good dude. And i'm sure he's talented i'm sure he sounds great you know yeah, it was their sixth show that they'd done um, when I when I saw him, and so they were still kind of ironing up. But I mean, he he jumped in and he got he got comfortable and he was playing the hits and everything, right? Like playing the hits, man. Took Come over, on. Took, yeah, and took over. So it was yeah, what a cool gig to to get, right? That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you got to talk to him. I, I dig that dude. I saw that. I was like, hey, I like that guy. Yeah. Well, thanks for checking it out. I appreciate. Oh, that. for sure. Yeah, man, I'll spread it around. I love it that you talk to musicians. You know, like. With my my publicist uh, Caroline now, who's she's amazing, you know, yeah. um, she's gives me all kinds of these interviews, and I I, I want to take them all because it's great talking to people who believe in music because I feel like we're like a a, a shrinking demographic. Yeah, yeah. We need to stick together and help each other and support each other and keep the conversation up because uh, you know I, I I'm afraid that people are starting to only pay attention for two seconds all the time to everything, and yeah. That's a that's a foreboding outlook for our species and for the creation of art and integrity and things like that. So I don't mean to get doom and gloom, but no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, and Caroline's cool. I've, I've worked with her on different bands over the years too. So yeah, know, she, 
Yeah, She's I like cool. her a lot. Yeah, well, let's talk about the new album. Uh, you know, so uh, I've listened to the album a couple of times. It comes out March 31st, right? So um, there's there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. But be, but the first thing I want to kind of talk about is the self, the, the, uh, the band title song, Miniaturized, uh, and how it kind of feels different than the, the rest of the album. It has this Oasis feel to me. Uh, and so tell me kind of where you're at with, with that song. Um, the title track, Miniaturized? The, yeah. The, okay. Um, well, it, it, that one flew out like halfway through that writing spurt that I had. And the chorus kind of came right away. And I was talking about um, I don't know, like all the COVID stuff and the and the the discontent in society and everybody at each other's throats all the time. We just all went through a really horrific few years, and like we're kind of all still in shock about it. But I think in once time passes, we'll look back upon the, the the political discourse during the Trump years and COVID on top of that, right afterwards, and all this stuff. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that for years to come as a really dark period in in. Uh, not only America, but the world, but especially America, because we were all here, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's all these, like, seemingly insurmountable problems, issues with people disagreeing, uh, you know, the nobody wants to compromise, everybody's standing on their pillars, because they feel like it's the only thing to do, and demonizing everybody else's ideas. And I, I just don't see, like, how we can progress as with that, at, you know, it's like an impasse for, for America or for humanity in general. It's happening everywhere. I can only yeah. speak from here, though. And oh, so sure. the miniaturized idea came from like, well, you know, we're these little tiny creatures on this little tiny rock floating in space, you know, in this massively ever expansive mecha universe that we can't even fathom what else could possibly be out there or how far it goes. And so we're we're infinitesimal in the grand scheme of things. And like when you think about it that way, this these political issues, these, these dark times, these little squabbles we're having as these little insects on this rock, they seem so insignificant and so kind of pointless and just like a part of a learning curve that we actually have to go through as a species yeah. you know, from, from far away. And so if you miniaturize yourself and you think about that way, you can apply that theory to pretty much any issue or any negativity you have in your life or anything that you can't seem to surmount, you know? So that's kind of where that we're all the same size when you pull back far enough. That's so, great. That's great. That's super well said. Yeah. That's where the whole concept from the song came from. And and like as I kind of expounded on it, I realized that that's kind of what the 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 band's about. You know, it's like most guys who turn 40 and they've been playing in indie rock bands their whole lives. You know, they're like their wives, they have kids or whatever. They're, they're like, I can't just keep going on the road in vans and, you know, playing for 300 people. You know, <laughs> like, what am I doing? And like a lot of my friends, like I, I, I know a lot of musicians and a lot of lifers like me. And, you know, some just can't can't balance the rigors of, of being a full time musician and, and regular life, having a family and trying to be happy and they can walk away from it and they they take jobs. And I understand. I understand that, you know, I mean, like I've had to work, too. I've been a bartender. You know, now I, I own a recording studio. So but that was a big stroke of luck, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, so I think that that it's not an easy thing to do. But what who am I to complain? You know, I think that like a lot of people who turn, you know, 40, they kind of give up on it. And it just seems like that's the concept of the band is like, like, I have all this opportunity in my entire life. This is all I've ever done. 
I mean, I suck at basketball. So I'm not really going to get out and do anything else. I'm not going to like go put on a tie and be able to go work in an office. I'm personable, but I'm, you know, I'm not really good at much. <laughs> yeah. So like that, that's it. That, that was part of kind of the whole concept behind naming the band miniaturized is that this isn't something that I'm going to take lightly, you know, like these obstacles that I see at this stage of my life, starting a new band, getting on the road, putting out a record, uh, it's something that's in me and I, I I have to do to, to feel complete, to, to like fulfill some sort of internal mission that's been like burning since I can remember, you know? And so, yeah, like, I'm not going to make excuses about it and I'm going to do it. And in the entire way, it seems like the, that the universe has kind of supported this whole thing by all these people attaching themselves to it and all this stuff happening uh, rather quickly, the fact that I got to make the record with like a, a producer who's like seminal to me, like I was hearing his music when I was playing Legos in my room, you know, yeah. and now the guy made a record with me. It was just crazy, like how everything kind of came full circle and culminated in this project. And we're having a great time, you know, we really are. It's awesome. So tell me about that. Tell me about working with Mitch and uh, and kind of how did you how did you meet him and kind of tell me about the formation of uh, your relationship as you made this album and and I know you went to his studio and then came back and then you had to do yeah well uh, he flew out here first actually um, yeah so at, like I wrote all those songs and you know I decided to record like I should probably make a record so I I sent them to all the dudes in the Petty band that I played with and they were guys who played in bands like uh, uh, Rocket from the Crypt um and earthless do you know earthless is no uh, you should check those guys out the guitar player is kid uh isaiah is like a, a, a ridiculous phenom he also plays guitar now he took mark ford's place in the black crows oh wow okay yeah so okay. he uh he's in this band earthless and they're like a psychedelic like 70s style jam rock band anyways the drummer from that band mario and i are good friends he played in the petty band and i, I sent it to him he's like yeah i sent it to mckeague and all these guys who play with me and I was like, hey, we should record these songs. We'll get to my studio, we'll mic up and we'll make them. And they were all like, yeah, sure. I said, okay, so let me polish the demos a little bit more. So I started working on them a little bit more and then all those guys got busy going on tour and doing everything. So I was kind of stuck with them for like a year or so. And I kept working on them. And one day I was in my studio and a friend of mine stopped by, another guy, musician, producer. And we were talking and he's like, what are you working on? I said, oh, I'm just working on my demos. For this project, I'm going to record here with these guys I did the petty thing with. And he's like, oh, let me hear it. So I played it. And after he heard it, he goes, are you going to put this together, produce it? And I was like, yeah, why not? And he's like, because it'll just sound like another San Diego project if you do it. You need to get an outside producer. Like, if you do it your way, it's going to sound like all your other bands, you know. And I'm like, no, nah, it's different, don't you think? And he goes, yeah, that's why you need to get a different ear. So his recommendation uh stuck with me, you know, and he even in some of the guys he listed off listed Mitch Easter and that's stuck with me. I'm like, what, why would Mitch Easter ever be interested in working with me? You know, he doesn't know me from Adam. Yeah. Uh, so I, I took his words to heart though. I was like, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe I should try something different with this. And so I, I sent out some, some emails uh, to some producers that I really like Phil Eck, uh, Chris Waller, um, uh, Mitch Easter uh who else did i tell another? a couple of guys who make records that i really dig i think phil x production's amazing i'm a big built to spill fan i think that all his records are cool um chris waller those early death cat for cutie records are unbelievable you know yeah i thought about like producers that really kind of like created an atmosphere on on a recording you know and these are the guys i could think of and mitch easter stuck out to me because i remember hearing murmur 
by REM for the first time through my brother's stereo and just being like blown away by how yeah, you're like eight years old, right? And I was younger than that, I think. Yeah, I was younger than that. Uh yeah, he brought it home. Um, and I remember hearing it, and he had played like Kiss and like I said, Van Halen and all these like arena rock big ass shit. And then that started, and I like went into his room and sat in front of his speakers. And it was, uh, you know, right in the middle of Radio Free Europe or whatever. And just like the way it sounded, it was like rocking, but it was like ethereal and inviting and like warm. And it felt like you can kind of step inside the song and like look around it, you know? Yeah. And so I was just amazed by it. And not till, you know, years later did I realize that, you know, Mitch Easter, who produced that record, not, I mean, R.E.M. were an incredible <laughs> band, but uh that was a lot his doing like the way it kind of had that atmosphere to it you know and all his subsequent records all had it so uh i was a fan you know and always kind of listened to 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 his stuff and so out of all these producers they all got back to me uh they were all incredibly complimentary and and courteous and cool they were all positive about the album like chris walla told me he thought it was great but he was booked for two years and i was like okay uh -huh. And then, and then like other guys, you know, like they're trying to make a living. They're like, well, what's your budget? And I'm like, <laughs> nothing, you know, well, no, I mean, I have money, but not a lot, you know, let's work it out. Yeah. I was hoping we moved to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, the discussion kind of ended there. Uh, and then I got an email from Mitch Easter and he was like, Hey, I'm sitting on my porch in North Carolina with my wife and I'm listening to your songs and I really like them. Uh, uh, do you want to like, maybe talk about making a record together? I, and I thought it was a joke, you know, but he put his number there and I, I set up a call with him and we had a conversation and he was enthusiastic and smart and like intuitive and like excited and creative. And we kind of discussed what kind of record we want to make. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So before I knew it, like a month later, I was picking him up at San Diego airport. He stayed in my place and we drove down to my studio every day. We were here for like nine days. And I got a lot of those guys who play the petty thing to get it come in and play on the record. And Mitch Easter produced it. And we recorded 13 tracks, uh, basically just drums, bass, and guitars. And then he flew back to North Carolina. And a couple months later, right in COVID, I flew out there. And uh, he has a beautiful home in, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with a beautiful studio and a property behind it and a little guest house for bands to stay in. So I stayed out there with him, just me. A, a photographer friend of mine flew out uh, to stay with me, but it was just he and I, and we did all the overdubs on the record and he played like bass and guitar and stuff all over the record, which is really cool. Like the guy's a phenomenal musician, you know, crazy. Yeah. And I got to, you know, like uh, hang out with his wife and like, like eat dinner in his house. And we became like close, we became friends. And I was just so impressed by like, the type of person he is, you know, the, the, the love he has for music and, and he's got like a, a philosophical take on, on art and the arts and culture and, and just how to be as a, as a human being. And it's a really beautiful thing, you know? Um, so I was completely like impressed with this guy and warmed up to him. And I think he, I think he thought I was all right. So we finished the record basically without a couple with a couple of things uh, left over. So I flew back. COVID was in full swing, and I was planning on we were planning on meeting up again to completely finish it. But everything got locked down so hard, and everybody was so paranoid that we kind of sat on it for a while. You know, and I was like, oh, I don't know. So whatever, we went on with the with the lockdown lives, and the guys who played on the record were calling me like, "What's going on with that thing?" And I'm like, "What do you want me to do?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
So eventually we worked out a plan to where I'm like, hey, man, I want to put this thing out. So I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll just finish a couple of parts I didn't do here and then I'll send them to you. And why don't you mix it over there and we'll do it that way. And so that's what happened. I've, I've, I've recorded what was left, just a few things on a couple of songs, sent it to him. He recorded a couple of parts and then he mixed the whole record over the pandemic. And like when it came back, the mixes started coming back. I was like, holy shit, man. Cool. You know, this is great. And he, yeah. and my friend, my friend Rafter Roberts, that was a guy who came to the city, was right. You know, like I would have never been able to make it sound like that. That was Mitch Easter. And what's crazy about it is he didn't change one lyric, one stanza, one note of anything I played. He just basically recorded it a certain way and added these things to bolster the hooks and the, the, the emotions in the song. And he kind of made them bionic versions of themselves. Didn't change anything, just like, elevated their presence so and to me that's what a great record producer should do and right. i think that great record producers are lured to music they're they attach to or they like or makes them feel something like you and me when you hear a band that that grabs on to you like a great record producer would do that too it's like oh i dig this i want to work with these guys and like it just worked out in a really incredible way and now like i collaborated with him and we're friends and now my spheres expanded with the band. And because of him, a lot of people are like, whoa, Mitch Easter made your record. I'm going to like, look at this. And so yeah. it's just kind of like got this groundswell and, and like energy and attention and all these great musicians and artists have attached to it. And it makes me feel incredibly fortunate and thankful that, that I miniaturized myself, you know, and kind of like went ahead with it instead of just like, you know, I, I mean, cause I am a busy guy. I, I record other bands all the time. You know, uh, I have a radio show. Um, so I'm I, like, I'm always working with music and I could just sink myself full-time into that, but to like start a whole new project, I've always been a songwriter. I've always been on stage. It's kind of what makes me who I am. So I like against all logic and reason started a new band. <laughs> yeah, it's, and here it's it is. All of a sudden it's got these legs. So, you know, I, and it's not just my legs, it's the legs of everybody who's, attached and, and contributed even Caroline now you know like it seems to me that all these people have taken their time and energy and goodwill and, and energy and, and put it into the project so I think as the originator of it I would be remiss if I didn't try to perpetuate it and see if people want to listen to the songs maybe they do maybe there's some reason all this is going forth you know I'm just trying to be uh uh open-minded about it and yeah. not, I've never been scared to work hard at stuff. So like, it's fun. It's taken a lot of time so far, um, but I, it's time that I enjoy putting in. And like, we're not trying to be famous or anything like that. I, we're not like, like doing TikTok dances with duck lips and shit. You know, yeah. we're not a bunch of pretty boy. We're a bunch of grizzled ass indie rockers, you know, who found moderate success and like just love playing music. So like, that's kind of our vibe is like, as long as we're having fun playing and people want to hear it, we're going to go do it and like, you know, see what happens. It'll be fun. Yeah. And you put yourself out there. And I mean, so one of the songs that I want to talk about also the most, um, I know you did a live studio video of that, but it's, uh, it kind of, you talk about addiction and kind of the support and being able to reach out and get, and uh, kind of ask for help. That's kind of where that comes from. Right. So tell me, I mean, tell me about putting yourself into that song and, uh, and kind of how you, use music to uh, to kind of you know kind of get it out there for yourself uh we're fragile creatures right 
you know? Yeah. Um, I think that, that there's a lot of crutches afforded to our society um, and a lot of people willing to help. I think overall humans are incredibly kind and caring and compassionate people. Sure, there's people who aren't like that or people who are selfish, but I think moreover, uh, people get caught in holes and traps and they start to self-medicate because they can't deal with the pressure of, of life. A lot of it's hard. A lot of people are pre predisposed to having depression and, and addiction, you know, just by their no fault of their own by genetics, you know, maybe their parents didn't warn them like, Hey, if you drink, you're going to have a lot of problems. Like, look at me, you know, maybe they didn't get that message or, or whatever, but a lot of people fall prey to it in my business, you know, uh, in music, uh, a lot of my friends passed away. Uh, we've all struggled with alcohol and addiction. Um, uh, my, uh, ex-wife, my, my kid's mom has struggled lifelong and she's, you know, been in and out of, of various rehabs. I probably shouldn't be saying this publicly. Uh, and and it's been an, uh, uh, it's been a horrible effect on on not only I have two kids I have my a son and a daughter uh, uh, it, it, I've seen what it's done to them my my parents weren't alcoholics they just ignored me it's, I mean that that feels better than having a parent who's an an addict it doesn't show up at all you know what I mean yeah. um, and uh, from personal experience you know I've had a, a lot of really dark times where I hit the ball pretty hard and kind of disregarded everything in my life and didn't pay attention oh uh, and you you start to get down so far that you don't value anything anymore and sometimes you wake up and you look at yourself if you're lucky and you go what the fuck am I doing here like oh, like this isn't how I want to live my life and I've woken up on beaches before you know homeless in bad shape. Um, and I think that uh, being able to reach out and ask anybody, your family, your friends, uh, a stranger for help is is probably the hardest thing to do when you realize that you can't help yourself. And that's what that song is about. And that's all, believe it or not, it's a lot, people are more willing to help you than you think. You think that you're this loser and you fuck people over or you've you've disappointed your parents or you've you've let your family down somehow or your friends think you're a loser and can't trust you if you go to them and you say hey you know like i, I i'm having a really hard time i don't want to be like this can you help me nine times out of ten somebody will help you yeah sure. and so that's what the song's about you know because you wake up and you're like is this supposed to be it is this what i am is this i thought i was supposed to be okay at this point and i'm not and that's what the song's about. So it's it's highly personal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of observations uh, of, of friends of mine who never really got the help they needed and they either passed away or they're in such bad shape now that you can't even communicate with them anymore, you know? And you can't invite them to your house because they'll steal stuff. <laughs> and it's just like, it's it's a really sad way because we're, we're such fragile species. We think we're we're capable of such beauty, but we break so easy, you know, and we're so susceptible to influence and, and, and weakness. Uh, and we're, we're proud. So we're afraid to reach out, you know? Yeah. I think it's, people have a really hard tough. time admit, admitting they're, they're having trouble. I think they really do. I think it's a matter of pride and they don't want to look weak, but the, the strength comes when you ask somebody, you know? Sure. And being, 
being uh, comfortable with yourself to be able to rely on somebody else and accept the help of, of someone else and you know and those that are around you and that care about you you know i mean and there are people there there are people who care about you you feel like there's nobody in your life that cares about you there's somebody there who cares about you guaranteed guaranteed and there's even strangers who will have compassion and empathy understand what you're going through and care about you instantly that's just how people are that's what's beautiful about humans is they have that capacity to feel for other people understand what they're going through and empathize and reach out a hand and be like hey you know I, I get it i've been there like i know you're broken let's i'll help you come here let's figure it out and i i, I think that's a beautiful thing and i and it gives me hope like a lot of things there's a lot of darkness and sadness with with humans but there's also a lot of beauty and creation and hope and so like those that juxtaposition is a really great point to write from you know and that's what what i did with this record i kind of i guess once you get older you have a little bit more perspective you go through a lot of shit and you're able to come through it and be okay and you look back and you're like whoa okay maybe we should talk about this a little bit those things are the you know those things that they're the worst things at the at the time right are part of what make you who you are and make you stronger you know uh to get through you know the things later in life right they're part of you know would build your character and your uh you know your strength yep. as you move forward if you can climb out uh past them right you know i mean it's it's tough and but you know i mean it sounds like you had a good support system to to help you i have a lot of beautiful people in my life people who uh believe in me uh uh a friend of mine mike mcconnell who who lives up in in santa barbara shout out to mike if you listen he might listen he's a big supporter of me and has always been an amazing friend he's a he was uh, paralyzed in a car accident when he was 16. Yeah. A week after he got his driver's license, he went out. He wasn't oh, even driving. Yeah. And a seatbelt severed his spinal cord. And he was in, oh, he was like a tennis champion, like crazy. And he's been in a wheelchair ever since, you know, and he's 40 now. And uh, he is the most indomitable spirit I've ever met in my life. And that guy won't let anything get him down. And he's like, like, strapped to a wheelchair for his whole life. Like everywhere he goes, people stare at him and point him, go, that poor guy in a wheelchair. But he's not a poor guy in a wheelchair. He's this like shining beacon of strength and light. And like that dude believed in me. He started a record label when he was in a hospital and like signed one of my early bands, you know, was like, you know, believed in me, like drove down, came and saw us play at some punk show. It was cool, you know? And we've been friends ever since. Uh, Jim Austin is another guy. He's a a mentor of mine. He's like a, a... across between uh willie nelson and and fonzarelli you know like he's that fucking cool like the guy's got levels of cool that you can't even believe like if i could be half as cool as him someday i'll be all right and he's just he he's the dude who loaned me money to build the studio he's the guy who's been like in support behind me He's, he's like a second father to me and he's always told me that you know uh he thinks that i that that I can accomplish anything I want to. And he he's behind me. And like, I've never had, and even my own parents didn't say that shit to me, you know? So it's just like people like that who really see strength and, and opportunity and beauty in you, like they, 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 they tell you about it. And it just like, if you hear them and you, you want to please them and you want to not disappoint them and, and prove that they're right, you listen to their advice and you follow them around. And I listen to all those people there. They're my heroes in a lot of ways. Mitch Easter's another guy I just met like that. He's like an inspirational human being with nothing but but positive. I mean, the way he was talking about my songs and like how I played and stuff, 
like from that guy, I was just like, wow, man, like you know, they made me feel like a gazillion dollars, you know? And I yeah. think I really, really, really appreciated it. And I think that people need encouragement, especially artists, because it's such a, you're taking your guts out and showing them to everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. It's fucking nerve wracking, man. And all this yeah. like self-promotion now that you have to do, like walking around, like taking pictures of yourself and it's all constant. You know, it's like, here, listen to my band. It's like, well, it, it's different than it used to be when I first started. You just go out and play. And now, you know, the internet's where you play first and then you try to get people to come to your show. It's just a, it, it's, it's, I'm not bitching about progress. I just understand it's a, it's an ever evolving animal. And I, as somebody who's been around the block once or twice, I guess I have to adjust to it, but I still think that in, integrity to your craft artistry and, and making sure that whatever art you put out meets the, the highest possible standards you can muster should stand. Like, I don't want to film myself eating a fucking burrito and put it on the internet and be like, here, I mean, uh, I'm just not of that generation. It, and I understand that kids are doing it and they want to watch like my son's on there and he's like, look at this guy. I'm like, he's playing a video game. I'm like, why no, is that cool? He's like, he's funny. And I'm listening to him like, is he? I'm like, why don't you just play the video game and make your own job? I don't get it. I don't get it. But that's just us, man. Like, we probably just don't get that shit, but they get it. And so, like, yeah. what does it matter? Like, my, my parents didn't get a lot of shit. I mean, my parents really didn't get a lot of shit when I was a kid. And I'm like, wow, that, they can't see it. So I don't want to be that guy. So I'm not going to rail against it. It's just having to participate in it. That's a little bit of an effort for me. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's tough to meet them where they are, you know, because you're just like, are like, what are you doing? Right. You know? Right. But, <laughs> right. but, but you, were, you were through it. How old are your kids? Huh? My, uh, my son is 12. Okay. Um, and my daughter, believe it or not, man, just turned 21. I had a really, really, wow. okay. really young. And yeah. uh, uh, it's funny because like her whole life, she's seen me go on tour and go play shows and like all my musician friends come over and I have this huge record collection. She's been list Both my kids have been listening to every band you can imagine since they were, you know, in the crib. And uh, for her 21st birthday, she asked me to take her out to shows in town. Wow. And being a local musician, I know a lot of people out at these music venues. So like we went out and we saw all these great bands. They took her to the Casbah. I took her to the Belly Up Tavern. And uh, she was just like in hog heaven. And uh, she looked at me and she's like, oh, Papa, I'm so proud to be your daughter. And, you know, I really love this life that you have. And I understand what you see in it. And it just made me like, it kind of broke me up a little bit, you know, that my daughter had this epiphany that, Hey, like my dad's actually cool. Some like some way. I mean, but I, I was like, I was, you know, younger than her when I had her, you know? So like, yeah. I, I never got the chance to really, I mean, I had, don't get me wrong. I had a lot of freewheeling days, but I started early. Yeah. Um, so, but it's just crazy to think about how things come full circle and, you know, uh, the beauty of it all. And I'm trying to be like, at this point in my life, like, turn over a more introspective and, and hopeful ideology going forward where I used to be just pissed and negative. I had a chip on my shoulder about everything. There's a lot more to life than being pissed off. All the yeah, time. It, for sure there is. And I'm glad you're finding that. And uh, that sounds great. And, and so what do you tour? Uh, what does that look like for you? Working on it now, actually, the drummer, Chris, uh, two drummers on the record, Mario Rubacaba, who plays in Earthless and uh, Rock from the Crypt. And Chris Prescott, who plays drums for Pinback, mm -hmm. and a band called Montalban Quintet. And also, he's played in a couple of my other favorite bands, a band called No Knife, who okay. I, I really love, uh, and uh, a band called Tanner, which is more obscure, but one of the coolest 
angular punk rock bands ever. So cool. Uh, so I've been longtime fans of all these guys I play with and like gone to see their bands as a kid and, you know, hung out with them and we've become friends over the years. So uh, Chris, uh, who is, is going to hit the road with us, uh, Pinback is, was booking a tour and I guess they had some sort of snafu with their booking. So they changed booking agents in the middle of booking a tour. And I guess they, they had to move some dates around. So when that, sh that tour shifted, it shifted like a week and conflicted with every single tour date that I had reserved for miniaturized. So, and we scrambled and now we're working on uh, stuff in, in May. So, uh, so far we've got a gig in Orange County and Alex's bar, uh, Troubadour in LA. Uh, I was on the email with Bottom of the Hill in San Francisco this morning. Uh, nice. Yeah, so I'm, I'm putting it back together and like things are happening. We got, we're booked for a couple of music festivals and stuff uh, in the Southern California area. So it's starting back up, but we I had a really nice run all worked out. It just, I had to cancel it. Um, and that's understandable when everybody in your band plays in other bands that tour, you know. Um, but going forward for the year, I think everybody's pretty clear. So we're going to hit it hard and, and, and play everywhere we can and really try to like get up, get up and get out there and play for people. That's what we want to do. Yeah, that's, a, that's what it's all about. That's great. Um, well, it's exciting. And and, and TJ, uh, Caroline said you might be able to play a song. Sure, sure, if you really want to hear one, man, no problem. I'll play you a song. I'm down. Look, this is, again, I'm not getting into Wait, wait, for a second. Before we start, can I, ask, can I ask you a question? What got you into doing this? Why, why did you want to start interviewing people for a podcast? Oh, God. So I told you, I started, it didn't, podcast didn't exist when I started interviewing bands, right? I was like, 18 or something something years old and so it's about getting out to shows and and cool i had this platform i was in tv production like i always wanted to get into tv production and i went to san francisco state for that and, wow. and everything but but i started making public access shows when i was 14 and so it was always this wow. thing, thing in me you know yeah and so like with music right like and it kind of built into this thing that i do with friends and just uh uh, kind of talking about music and then it's like okay hey you know we might be able to get interviews with bands and what have you and then so that happened and I think the first shows were like better than Ezra was one of our first interviews and uh at the film those guys are nice dudes I like those guys yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. so that that was cool and then, you know and then it's just it's just, it's just this thing getting out to concerts you know getting into shows for free is fun too you know <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah you, you, you get it so for sure. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, and then it's just always this, it's this creative element for me of, uh, of getting to produce something, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, and I don't tell many people, I've, I've never made a penny off of this shit, you know, uh, but it's just this creative platform. This, obviously I have another job, but uh, that this is the best way to do it because I get to scratch that itch creatively and, and I'm so into music and I, and loving the stories and getting to have these conversations that we're having, you know, I mean, uh it's the coolest thing to me right i'm I, i'm introverted in a lot of ways but this is one of the ways i'm kind of extroverted is having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people i've never talked to or met or some i have and that i know well you know and like and i've interviewed a number of times um like andrew mcmahon is one of my favorite musicians and he's great I, man we play with something corporate a lot uh oh dude all over uh, man. like yeah <laughs> we we're on festivals those cats are the nicest dudes i used to love it when he jumped on his piano i thought it was the coolest yeah. thing ever. They were great, man. They were great. And then I thought his solo stuff was really good. Um, yeah. Uh, I was backstage at Coachella when he played there and uh, he came off and we had a brief like, hello, you know, it was good to see him. Uh, but he he looked great and he played a great show. I, I like him too. I think he's an awesome guy and I love his music. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've been in a room a ton of times. I mean, we know each other now and stuff. And he, you know, he's I've, I've followed him through all of his bands that he's that he's had and his music's great. But it's that sort of experience, you know, that I that I do it for. I I love those experiences too. I, and I just love connecting with musicians. You know, yeah. we all have common ground. We all, you know, come from the same place. And and some people, you know, they they have different motive motives in mind. Those usually aren't the people that I end up connecting with. You know, they're in music, but they're doing it for attention. Uh, and yeah. and like I get the attention can be nice, you know, and it makes you it, it's reaffirming and it makes you feel good. But uh, there's there's something a lot more uh, that some of those people maybe missing and it's that it's that feeling that you're talking about you know it's just like it just makes to be able to all connect on the same wavelength at the same time you know and be part of something and understand what's happening and appreciate it that's where it's at you know who's your favorite band of all time oh i mean it's it's andrew he's 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 number he's number one man like totally uh, that's a cool one yeah, uh, I mean, I have other favorites up there and stuff that you can go back to, and it has the, the nostalgia factor, like uh, Motion City soundtrack, the format, like those all those have a fun place in my heart. Some of, a lot of the bands you've mentioned are, I mean, I are some of my favorite shows. Bet you mentioned Bad Religion, I, I you know, period. Oh my God. I really love that, you know, not but, so much anymore. I saw them a couple like last year, I think, right when COVID ended and they were playing, and I went out and I was like, oh, man, it's, it's like sometimes band lose a little bit of fire. I mean, they're yeah. all great. the songs are great, but like when I saw them as a kid, it was just like mind blowing. And dude, like I got to because uh, of my studio, I, I get to record a lot of really great bands. I got to record the Descendants, you know? Yeah, oh, like, that's you know, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They came in and played. I record, you know, I recorded all these legendary bands and these musicians who I would like admire. And it's just then like they're like I just did Death Cab for Cutie, right? And I'm I'm a huge fan of of Ben Gibbard. And I like you know told him that I'm like, hey man, I'm like, and he was like so down to earth and cool. And usually like guys like that who really get it, those the those are the the core of the music foundation, like in, in everywhere in the world, you know, the people who really appreciate it for how beautiful it can be and what it can do and how it brings us yeah. all together. Yeah, I'm going to see that the tour that he has coming up with uh, Death Cab and Postal Service, the co-headline tour. That's going to be a great show, man. The band he's got now, even though Chris isn't in a band anymore, the band he's got now for Death Cab, they're all really great dudes and they're great players. You know, it's just it's it's that guy's songs are so beautiful. I love him. You know, he's he's a he's a true troubadour. That guy, you know, a bard, if you will. Uh, I feel the same about David Bazan. You know who that is from Pedro the Lion. Um, okay okay you said yeah i think I've, uh, I've seen them live i think once maybe two, so. yeah really good they're for they're like a washington band or northern washington band kind of like death cab um and they toured a lot together in the early years those two bands yeah 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 it's a great song right she must be something about having to be inside all the time with the rain <laughs> no right it brings out great music so yeah sure yeah well i'm glad i'm glad i, I would like to know more because if we're going to be friends you know yeah. like when i see you if we play san francisco and you come we got to hang out you know and yeah yeah and I'll, and I'll be like, hey, man, let's talk about Andrew McMahon. Let's talk about other stuff. Is that a picture of you and Dave Grohl behind you? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, that's the other one. Yeah, you, Andrew McMahon and D- Dave. Like, yeah. So here, I'll, I'll actually grab that one. Uh, <laughs> um, this, has, this has a great story. Uh, and we can talk for hours, right? But so it's not just a picture of me and Dave Grohl. It's a signed picture of me and Dave Grohl. Oh, yeah, that happened. That happened the same night this picture was taken. So uh, uh, he was in Napa showing his Sound City Studios documentary, and uh, and the previews were on. I went to the bathroom, and he was just standing outside talking to the you know the staff and everything. So uh, I went back to my seat, brought the stack of CDs I I brought to maybe get signed, 
uh, took about to him. He took my phone, took a took a picture, and then I'm like, "What would Dave Grohl do?" Because I talk about him like at the end of almost every podcast. Is you know, I have a segment dedicated to Dave Grohl. Uh, but uh, uh, what would Dave Grohl do in this situation? I send the picture to my mom uh, and have her take it to CVS, get an eight by ten made. Uh, you know, while the documentary is playing, then I run out to the lobby, get I, and we do the handoff. I get the picture, and then in the Q and A, I'm the first to ask a question, and then I get him to sign the picture. Uh, right there, he's like, "Wasn't this like an hour ago?" <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, the, the, he, the 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 guy is is a true ambassador to to rock music and music in general. He's so amiable and friendly and cool. He doesn't have a bad word to say about anybody. Everybody loves that dude. Um, and he's just kind of taken that role on to heart. You know, he like realizes that he's a, he stands for a lot. And he 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 believes in rock and roll music and the power of music, you know. And he perpetuates it full force. What whether you like the Foo Fighters or not, I personally really like them, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you can't deny the the power that the the connection that man has brought to music, and you can't deny what an incredible freaking drummer and songwriter he is. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like when I first heard Nirvana, like Dale Crover, you know, Dale Crover is the first drummer for Nirvana. He drums I should, for. I should I should know that because I read yeah, Dave's he, book. Yeah, he, uh, well, he actually drums for the Melvins now. If you know that, okay. uh, uh, I heard Nirvana when D Dale Crover played for him. I thought they were amazing, and then when Grohl got in, I was just like, "Well, shit, you know, this is it, man." You yeah. know, because that's Crover on Incesticide, right? Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So and Grohl was never mind. That's where yeah. his first record was. But then after that, man, like, you know, that the first Foo Fighter records that he, the, that he, with the gun on it, that he did on ADAT tape all by, and played everything on it. I was like, man, this guy's so talented. And then he just went from there, you know, some of those right. water songs are American anthems at this point, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm really in, in, curious who they're going to have as their drummer because they've announced shows, you know, festival dates, but they haven't talked about who's replacing. I wonder if they're going to get Hawkins kid play. to do it. Cause he's pretty good. I know That's one of the ones it's like, can you take Shane that young? You know, uh, I mean, they might, man, like that would be a cool ass move and nobody would say shit about it. Cause like, no. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think isn't he still in high school though? <laughs> I know he's 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 got to be like sixteen or something. Right? He's good, like, man. They got yeah, him up on stage oh. with him at the at the tribute. He was great, you know. He was he was. Him why, wouldn't you take, why wouldn't yeah. you take that gig? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'll I'll take school from the road, man. Come on, I'll just let me go drum for the poop fighters and, and travel <laughs> the world and play. You can't yeah. say that. it's for his dad. Yeah. It's in honor of his dad too, you know. I know for real. Feel yeah, horrible loss. Taylor Hawkins was a, uh, an amazing human being, you know, yeah. Orange County yeah. dude, really, really solid. I only really had a, a long conversation with him once, but in that period of time, it was, I mean, we talked about the Pixies, who was one of my favorite bands and yeah. he had all this amazing stuff to say, same stuff I felt about it, you know, and he was just like, he lived and breathed for music, man. That's he, he, he had that positive attitude about it. You know, he, it didn't matter that he's some gigantic rock star. He was all about, and that's what Gold, Blake Roll is too, you know, uh, all yeah. about just like appreciating all of it. And I think that's a really great attitude. And I hope that that's infectious and other people see it and want to do it. You know, no one can say a bad word about him. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think a lot of these big pop stars, they miss that. They're, they, they kind of sink more into Divaville where, you know, like they're this like icon and they're untouchable and they don't relate to the common people. But I, I'm much more attracted to 
musicians who can relate and are willing to relate, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And With the exception of like Tom York, who never talks to anybody, but I love his band, you know? There's there's some out there that, yeah, you're like, mm, right. okay, you could change a couple couple things, right? But <laughs> can't, you can't have it all, can't have it all. You can't have it all. <laughs> no, you can't. Right. No, you can't. Well, well, I'll get your number at the end after you do, do a song and everything too, and then I'll text you. And, uh, yeah, I'll play one. I got a, I got a guitar here. I always have one around. Uh, you're, you're ready. Um, uh, I do have to say this. I, I think this is the next single that's going to come out right before the record gets released. I'm going to play it. I don't know. When, when are you going to broadcast this thing? Monday. All right. It comes out on the 20, 24th. That's okay. next Thursday. So you'll get a, I guess a world premiere. Get in advance. We're a premiere yeah. here on Concert So Rock this Rock. is the next single. It's called Riots. Um, and it's about a lot of what we talked about, about how people have uh, all this conflict in their lives, you know? And like, if you just learn from your experiences instead of, you know, just being pissed off about them all the time, things go a lot, a lot better in the long run. We have to try to evolve. Otherwise, we're just going to be fucking stuck in the same spot. Okay. This is also the first track on the record. Yes. Yeah. Let's start at the top. This is a sentiment song. Just a point of reference as life gets on. Just a moment taken, a melody to recall. So you remember what it sounds like once the feeling's gone. It's as loud as it can get It's an amazing sound, I guarantee you that All of the complications Too many ruts causing too many riots should appreciate it you wouldn't know if you didn't try it the passing of days undermining every memory you try to say and the point this makes goes through the heart of everything It's as loud as it can get. It's an amazing sound, I guarantee you that. All of the complications, too many ruts causing too many riots. should appreciate it you wouldn't know if you didn't try it it's another reminder that the sounds inside your ears still strong throughout the years so listen can you hear listen can you 
conditions Too many ruts causing too many riots You should appreciate it You wouldn't know if you didn't try it All of these complications Too many ruts causing too many riots Can't you appreciate it? You'll never know if you never try it Won't you ever try it? Won't you ever try it? <laughs> I don't sound over these crappy computer speakers. Oh, it's great. See, you know, I mean, it's it, obviously it's not record quality, but it's but it's great, and I mean, and it's live, and it, and that's what it's about, right? So okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm just doing it on my crappy laptop here, so it's like a like speaker that big. Also, is going through. I'm used to recording things all day, and I'm like, oh, they want me to sing. Should I set something up? I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll just play it. See what happens. It's funny, <laughs> you know. I mean, we we did a lot done a lot of these through Zoom over the you know past couple of years and yeah. and bringing in live music in whenever we can. I mean, it just it it helps make the you know the episode pop. It's just it's great. Oh man, yeah, so, I, dude, I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and let me play and like asking all those cool questions, man. And I really dig your whole vibe about everything. I think it it's a positive thing. And like I said earlier, I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. We need a, a zillion more people like you and me out there advocating. You know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned for the arts. I want I want things to to move forward because I think that that our species, uh, the one thing we're truly capable of is is creating beauty, and music is definitely very high on that list. You know, it's one thing we can do that's very unique to our species. You know, very unique um, to create this this energy field of sound that people connect to, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. You know, I'm glad there's music fans. I'm glad there's you, and you know, I'm glad that we're here. Well, I'm glad there's you as well and your music. And I mean, your album is great. I know you're excited to, to finally release it because you've been working on it for the past couple of years. And, yeah, and well, it's just, be... I mean, pandemic slowed things down a bit for sure. I usually crank records Little. up faster. But it's, yeah, I'm super excited to release it, man. I, I think that like it's it's a culmination of a lot of people's effort and time and and excitement. And uh, I think, you know, that, that we're going to have a lot of fun going out and playing these songs for people. And I hope people uh like like it you know it, 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 that's what we do <laughs> this is what we do for sure so um yeah well tj thank you for taking the time i appreciate it and that was the interview with tj from miniaturized here on concert pipeline and that takes us to the final segment on the program the music news Okay, I have a couple stories to wind out the music news today. Uh, the first is that the used have announced a new album called Toxic Positivity with a furious single, People Are Vomit. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's a follow-up to the 2020's Heartwork and will feature the used uh, 2020 single, uh, Fuck You, along the recently released People Are Vomit. Your music is getting more classy by the year, I can tell, as they're growing older. Uh, so that fiery new used track uh, sees vocalist Burt McCracken uh, screaming, uh, this future fucked before it got started. This future's fucked before it got started. The, uh, this world's disgusting. People are vomit. 
uh, and McCracken said, we think this song is fun and cute. Uh, we hope you love it too. So uh, they also quoted Oscar Wilde, the truth is rarely pure and never simple. Uh, Toxic Positivity is due for release May 19th, 2023, uh, and you could reorder it now. So um, McCracken also told NME, uh, that's the perfect place for rock music to live, uh, talking about the anger and frustration behind the music. You get a release with music, especially rock music, and it helps to have a little bit of ammunition behind it. A lot of times it's about living in an overcomplicated modern society where boredom is the number one issue with people's lives, which is pretty crazy. This record tries to uh, touch on a lot of sensitive topics and the things that people could be, should be, or will be angry about. So new, new music out there if you want it. Uh, Depeche Mode, uh, they had announced their uh, North American tour and they're coming to Sacramento, sold, uh, sold out show. Uh, they had to have added extra North American uh, leg to the Memento Mori World Tour. Um, and they uh, are due to hit the road in the US and Canada next month uh, following the release of their 15th album, Memento Mori, which is out March uh, 17th. Uh, so the second leg does include a stop in San Francisco uh, as their uh, fourth to last date on December 3rd. So. Uh, so the first first date is March 23rd in Sacramento, uh, and then San Jose. Both of those are sold out. A lot of the um, the initial dates are sold out, with the other just having tickets going quickly, of course. Uh, and then they'll be back in the Bay uh, at the end of the tour, end of the year uh, in December. So I was interested in seeing Depeche Mode on this tour. Uh, I looked up tickets, saw the prices with ticket fees, and said, no, thank you. Uh, too rich for my blood. Uh, I've seen Depeche Mode once before uh, on their Exciter tour in 2001, and, uh, and that was really cool. I saw them at the Con Concord Pavilion um, many, many, many years ago, and uh, and figured it'd be cool to see them again because they put on a, a good show. But uh, I, I will politely say no thank you when I, when I looked at the ticket prices, so no thank you. Uh, all right, Bruce Springsteen uh, threw his guitar and hit his guitar tech in the head. He accidentally struck his guitar tech in the head during a show this month after he launched his instrument into the air. Uh, he's currently on tour with his uh, East e Street Band, the first time they've hit the road in six years, and performing in Atlanta, Georgia on February 3rd. He tossed his guitar to assistant Kevin Boyle, a routine move during his shows, but slipped through the fingers, uh, uh, the tech fingers, the text fingers and struck him on the head. Uh, and in a, in a video posted on YouTube, well, can be seen stumbling to the ground on stage before the boss walks over to check on his crew member who appeared to be mostly unharmed. Uh, and Springsteen walked away with, with a smile. So uh, I, I, oh yeah, I just, just watched that for the first time and it clocked him, it clocked him. And Springsteen went over and checked on his, his guy uh, who was, Mildly unconscious, let's say, uh, by the by the end of that action. Uh, so you can find a video of that online if you want to see it. Okay. Um, last episode, I uh, incorrectly predicted the winner of the Super Bowl, uh, and I did not correct the episode uh, before I uh, before I posted it. I just let it roll. Uh, so the uh, yeah, spoiler for the three people that did not hear or see it: uh, the Kansas City Chiefs won the uh, Super Bowl. And the Kansas City Chiefs coach uh, barred the uh, the players from watching Rihanna's Super Bowl halftime show. Says uh, says their quarterback. Uh, he apparently threatened to bench them if they watched the pop star set. 
So uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, 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 talked about it, I guess. The uh, Chiefs wound up winning the big game, beating Philadelphia Eagles by just three points with a total of 38 against the Eagles, 35. While Rihanna Short said, Drew, and, uh, 118.7 million, making it the second most watched uh, halftime show in Super Bowl history. Katy Perry's 2015 appearance topped at 121 million, uh, which is which is crazy because I remember seeing Katy Perry at Warp Tour, and you know, just standing right in front of her backstage, at, at not knowing who she was, uh, when she, like minutes before she broke with "I Kissed a Girl," uh, and and that was crazy, right? Uh, being completely enamored by by her as well. Uh, and I saw her at Ace of Spades in Sacramento, this tiny like 500 person club uh, that um, got passes to through her publicist. So, I mean, and then she just exploded. Uh, so Mahomes uh, told Jimmy Kimmel, the Chiefs weren't allowed to watch the pop stars uh, slay hits like Rude Boy and Umbrella. I heard the show was great, he said uh, during his recent appearance, but Coach uh, Reed told us, uh, if you go out and watch a performance, just keep walking because you're not playing the rest of the game. Uh, so uh, apparently uh, Rihanna was pregnant also, which is the big thing from the, the performance. So, um, uh, yeah, there's a, a, a lot of people really liked her performance and said it was badass and huge that uh, that she uh, didn't have any guest appearances or anything along those lines. Interesting. In a, a Super Bowl-related story, a kid who took a viral Super Bowl selfie with Justin Timberlake was arrested. The story is really weird because the fact that it's actually a music news story, uh, and uh, and I mean, and it's just, and the kid is not like famous or anything along those lines, but he had a minute, minute in the spotlight. So it was during Justin Timberlake's halftime show. He took this uh, selfie. He was 13 when he had the picture taken with the star uh, in 2018. This kid, who has no musical connection in any sense, uh, uh, other than, I mean, he was on Ellen, and uh, and Justin Timberlake called in to Ellen to talk to him, I guess, on the on that show. Cool. Uh, uh, you know, but he allegedly got into an argument with his 15-year-old friend before uh, apparently pushing a table. 18-year-olds and 15-year-olds should not be friends. There's they're just too different in, in their lifetime, you know, life spaces. This kid looks totally drugged out. In the uh, in the TMZ photo, uh, police told TMZ that the shopping center security attempted to escort McKenna off the property. He became increasingly aggressive and ended up grabbing an officer's hand when he was placed on his chest. He was then arrested for felony battery on a police officer and two misdemeanors resisting arrest and obstruction of an officer. Uh, so I guess his the picture when with Justin Timberlake went viral. Uh, I just thought to myself, I'll never get this opportunity again in my whole life. He said at the moment, I just went for it. Yeah, people take selfies with celebrities. Uh, it's kind of, it's what you do, right? So uh, anyway, that's the story. And we'll close out the music news with uh, a story about the Foo Fighters. Of course, we'd like to talk about Mr. Dave Grohl. Uh, but this uh, this is where the Foo Fighters paid tribute to Taylor Hawkins on his birthday. Um, they, they shared a post on social media in honor of their late drummer, Taylor Hawkins, who would have celebrated his 51st birthday on February 17th. The tribute had a picture of Hawkins in black and white in the simple caption, miss you so much, uh, prompting reactions from other high-profile musicians uh, uh, who, yeah, you know, again, shared their love as well. You know, not a lot of people who didn't love Taylor Hawkins and um, he went too soon. So um, it's crazy. It's almost been a year since he, he died, March 25th.
uh, um, and we'll see who the, the new drummer is for the Foo Fighters for their upcoming shows. So uh, that is our show for today. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. Appreciate it. Um, I will let you know that we have a couple of interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. We have a band called Newski, and we also have Matt Pond from um, uh, the, uh, the Natural Lines. I'm going to be interviewing both of them this week, and we'll see which one uh, is, airs next week. But thank you for tuning in, and for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.